All right, well, welcome if you're new here. Uh, the way we do children's ministry is every other week. Uh, we have kids go out there, usually except for the last, like if there's a month that has five Sundays, like the month of March, uh, we don't. But this week it's unusual. They are leaving, so parents, don't get used to it, all right? That fifth Sunday, they're going to stay in here, all right? We'll be spoiled now. Seems like there's an unusual amount of light in this room today. I'm okay with it if you're okay with it. Right there, sunshine. Ah, there it is. It's amazing. Okay. Um, would you open your Bibles if you brought them? I hope you did. Open them to John chapter 6. What's happening? Okay. My personal attendant here, Mr. Bachelman. Thank you. Thank you. We are we're starting a new series. Um, thanks, Colin. Appreciate that. Good looking out. It's a good brother right there. Give it up for Mr. Colin. Mr. Colin um, we're starting a new series. We just finished up as a church walking through the book of Philippians and um, kind of leading up to kind of in this Easter season now, we are starting a series. We're going to be in a series, kind of a brief one, focusing on the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And so um, this morning we are looking at specifically Jesus' statement in John 6, 35. I'm actually going to read um, verses 25 and I will stop at uh, verse 35. So um, again, if you have your Bibles, the words won't be on the screen. I really encourage you to bring them, your Bible, with you on Sunday mornings. Um, I think the bigger the Bible, the better. Just bring in that big Bible. Very good. Scoring points all over the place today, Colin. I like it. Very good. Um, okay, I'm going to read verse 25, and we'll go to 35. This is God's word. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then, he said, then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word, which we believe to be eternal and true. Lord, I pray just now over the next couple of minutes that, um, that you would guide us in this eternal truth, Lord, and you would help us as your people um, to receive your word this morning. 
Lord, we are reminded um, every time a preacher stands behind this pulpit and opens this book that you are a God who speaks. Lord, you are a God who speaks to your people. And we ask that you would do that right now, Father. Use your words, Lord, and speak them to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would show us our desperate need for you and your wonderful, wonderful provision for us. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, our family has uh, kind of had an interesting phase now. We've noticed that the last couple of months especially, we have five children and two of kind of the, the, the middle kids are um, kind of at that age where they eat a lot of food. Okay, they eat a lot of food. Maybe if you've been around, especially boys, maybe ages 10 to 13, 14, maybe on up to 18 or whatever, you, you begin to notice that their appetites have changed, right? It used to be we could get like one pizza and Natalie and I could eat a couple of slices and the kids could kind of chomp around a few slices themselves and we'd be good. Well, our, it's not the case anymore, right? Normally on a typical evening, we gather around the table, we eat food, and then shortly after the, the table gets clean, maybe the dishwasher gets loaded or doesn't get loaded, and we find ourselves sitting around the couch within just a matter of moments. If you listen closely, you begin to hear cupboards closing, refrigerators opening and beeping, wrappers unwrapping, right? And mouths chomping. Right? If you've been around junior high age kids at all, you know that they just constantly eat. Constantly eat. I always, my parents used to always say, Doug, do you have like a hollow leg? Have you ever heard that expression before? Like where is, there's just food constantly going in you. It's like where is it going, right? We can feed as parents, the particular challenge that we have is we can feed them all that they want, yet their bellies won't stay filled, Right? It's a big problem in our house. It's a big problem. It's a little irritating as well. Now, regardless of whether you have junior high age boys in your house or not, the truth is all of us here this morning um, can relate to that exact same situation, however, on a much deeper, more spiritual level. In fact, this, this phenomenon, it, this problem lies at the very center of John chapter 6. And it lies at the very center of your heart and my heart as well. Within each of us exists deep, deep cravings. Deep, deep longings, desires. The, the, the desire for purpose and meaning and joy in life. And our problem is that we often seek this fulfillment of these satisfaction, the fulfillment of these longings and these cravings. We, we seek the satisfaction in cheap alternative substitutes. And as a result, we are often, much like my boys, after a meal, finding ourselves in a kitchen, opening cabinets, searching the fridge, looking for food. Digging around the cabinets and the cupboards at 10 o'clock, making a bowl of oatmeal, right? Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to that. This, this problem that, that many of us share, this desire, the, the, the need to be fulfilled, 
is particularly fascinating when you consider our unique cultural reality. Where we are in history right now in the West. See, we live in an age of unprecedented plenty, right? We are better paid, better fed, better housed, better educated. We are healthier than ever before. We, we have more human rights. We have faster communication and more convenient transportation than there has ever been in the history of the world. We live in an age, especially in the West, in an age of absolute plenty, of abundance. Yet, these very markers of progress, those things that I just labeled, that, that many of us would say they are markers to show how, how much progress we have made as a society, these markers have proven to be insufficient. In fact, while all of this progress is happening, we are less and less satisfied. While, while we're seeing all this progress in our culture and in our society, we're also seeing rapid increases in the divorce rates, in teen suicide rates, and violent crimes. The prison population continues to grow. Dramatic increases in those suffering from depression and anxiety. We can have so much, but still be so unhappy. This reality is what social psychologist David Myers refers to as the great American paradox. Right? The great American paradox. While we live in an age of plenty, we still suffer from deep hunger. Deep spiritual longing. If you can identify with that, and I'm sure on some level we all can this morning, then John chapter 6 is really wonderful news for us this morning. What, what Jesus, what God tells us in John chapter 6, if you can relate, if you can identify with a portion of your heart that is left unsatisfied, that is constantly looking, and you have tried different sources to meet that need, to fill that hole in your heart, right? If you can identify with that, John chapter 6 is really, really good news. It's really good news. Because the whole idea of this wonderful chapter is that true, lasting satisfaction is a possibility. It is a possibility for you this morning. Those longings in your heart, they can be met. Right? That's the point of John chapter 6. Satisfaction is possible for you. It's possible for me. So this morning as we look at this, this passage, um, it, this is a wonderful passage. And in the New Testament's longest passage, and it's really one of the greatest passages in the New Testament. There's, there's much to be learned in this passage. Um, but, but the whole, all 71 verses in John chapter 6 have to do with this idea. They're all about bread. Every verse is about bread in this chapter. This morning, what I want to do is just brief outline, problem, solution, invitation. 
We'll spend most of our time this morning in point number one. So as I get done with point number one, don't think, oh my goodness, he's going to have point number two, it's going to be just that long, and then point number three is going to be just that long. Not the case. We're going to spend most of our time this morning examining the problem, right? So if you were to look at John chapter 6, and you could flip back to, to the verse, couple of verses, there's a couple of stories that if you have much history with church, these are probably stories that are pretty familiar, that you're probably pretty familiar with. The first story is the feeding of the masses. We see this in verses chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And in the feeding of the masses, Jesus and his disciples, they set out across the Sea of Galilee. People have seen, at this point, they have seen and heard of Jesus. They have heard of some of the miracles that he has done, right? The healing of the man at the, the pool of Bethesda. He is, he, he is a man who has uh, unusual power. And so there's crowds that begin to gather around this man. They want to see him for themselves. So they gather around him and, and, and Jesus examines the crowds and the question begins, Philip asks, asks it in verse 5, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? A large crowd, 5,000 men. So if there's just 5,000 men, there's more than that when you include women and children. There's a lot of people around Jesus right now. How do we feed them, Jesus? Peter points out a boy in the crowd who has a small sack lunch. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus then enlists the help of his disciples to take this food and distribute it to this massive, massive crowd. Then, as the food begins to get passed and it gets multiplied and is eventually everyone eats their fill, the disciples are there gathering up the food, each having an overflowing basket themselves of bread. Three things about this story. Quickly, there's the crowd's conclusion of this story. Their, their conclusion is they see this miracle. The crowd is all privy to what has just happened. They have seen what they came to see. They saw a sign, a miracle, right? A demonstration of Jesus' power. Their conclusion is this man is a prophet. He's a prophet. Through the sign, they have made the link between Jesus and Moses. Moses provided bread from heaven for Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. Now Jesus miraculously feeds them with bread. And their response is they want to take him by force, we're told in the text. And they want to make him king. Immediately they respond to what Jesus has done. Be our king, Jesus. Why do they respond this way? Because they see Jesus as being useful to them. They see Jesus for his utility. He's useful. Look what Jesus can do for us. Look what he just did for us. If we make him king, can you imagine what he will do for us as his people? Quick, make him king. What else can he do? They're not seeing Jesus for who he is. Rather, they're, they're seeing Jesus for what he does. Okay? It's the crowd's conclusion. In this story, we don't just have the crowd making a conclusion. We also have a, dis, a, a lesson for the disciples. What's the lesson for the disciples? Well, as you remember the story, they gather up these baskets and there's 12 baskets overflowing. One basket for each disciple. And, and the lesson for the disciples is a really valuable lesson for us this morning as well. When you give yourself to the Lord's work, he will take care of of you. When you spend your energy, when you work for the Lord, you will not be forgotten. 
You will not be neglected and you will not be used by God, right? He will meet your needs in ways that you cannot even dream. He is more than enough for you. It's the lesson for the disciples. But in this miracle, what was Jesus' point? The crowds draw a conclusion. There is a lesson for the disciples. But what is Jesus' point? This is a sign. This is a visible arrow pointing at a spiritual reality. What is that spiritual reality? This sign ultimately is pointing to Jesus himself. Jesus is saying with this sign, with the multiplication of the, the, the loaves of bread and the fish, he is saying, I am who you need. I am the one you need. I am the bread of life. This sign is pointing towards verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just like God sent you manna in the world to sustain your ancestors and their lives for 40 years in the wilderness, God has sent me into the world to give you eternal life. I am who you need. That's what it was pointing at. Following this story, there's another story that, again, probably many of us are familiar with. This is the story of Jesus walking on the water. We see it in verses 16 through 21. After Jesus does this wonderful miracle and the, uh, with the crowds multiplying the loaves of bread and the fish, Jesus, we're told, goes up on the mountain. His disciples get in a boat. They head across the sea to Capernaum. As night begins to set in, the disciples find themselves on the boat out in the sea. Sun goes down, night sets in, and the wind begins to pick up. Perhaps you're familiar with the story. The wind grows strong. It grows fierce. So much to the point that the disciples find themselves rowing in this boat three or four miles, we are told. They are going, not just are they going nowhere, they're like backtracking. This is a terrible, terrible situation for these men. Men who are experienced on the sea, right? And a wind is blasting the boat. And then, in the middle of the storm, they look up and they see Jesus. The man who had just gone up on the mountain is now walking out on the water. And as he walks out, he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, if you remember, I said at the beginning, this whole chapter has to do with bread, right? And so if you were to look this and read this as a whole chapter, you might say to yourself, how does this story fit? How do, where does this walking on the water fit in this story? What is Jesus teaching them? Well, I think it goes back to this idea of what he, the same lesson that he told them with the, taught them with the 12 baskets, there are times in our life when you give your life to the Lord, when you commit to doing the work of the Lord, there will be times in your life where you may be tempted to think, much like the disciples did that night on the boat, much like they did as they looked at the mass of people that they had to feed and begin to think to ourselves, I can't do this, right? Wherever you are in life, Whatever you're doing, whatever stage of life you're in, whether it's as a parent, whether it's as a spouse, whether it's as an employee, an employer, a student, regardless of where you are in life. There are times when all of us are tempted to come to that same conclusion. I can't do this anymore. 
I can't do this. Whatever your circumstances are, or maybe your calling is in life, have you felt that temptation? I can't do this. I know I have. Like even this week, there's been times where I felt like, and I've, I've shared with some friends, it feels sometimes like I'm just teetering on the edge of falling completely apart, right? And it's part of our human nature. And there's part of it that's really good and healthy that we should be reminded that apart from him, you can't, right? But it's the same lesson that the disciples learned with the loaves. Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, he is more than enough. And when, when the boat begins to be rocky and the winds begin to beat against the ship, guess what? He is with you. He's with you. This truth is what we just got done reading about Paul elaborating on in the book of Philippians when he talks about it in chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. He says, the Lord is at hand. He acknowledges the very presence of God Almighty with him in his life. The Lord is at hand. As a result, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, there is no wind. There is no storm. There is no distance that will keep Jesus from you. It won't happen. It won't happen. He will come to you. Surprisingly, in this story, in John's account, there is zero mention of the storm stopping. No mention of it in these words. Because the story isn't about getting you out of the storm. Right? The story is about getting Jesus in your boat, ultimately. I'm reminded there's a, a period of time where I spent in Ukraine and there was a gentleman there named Oleg and he had a, a huge smile, massive smile and just as big of a mustache. It was a glorious mustache, okay, huge. And uh, he would play the guitar around a campfire and he had this song that he, he would sing and sometimes I, when our kids were little we would sing it to them a little bit but it goes simply like this. With Jesus in the boat. He had a little accent that he kind of slipped in there a little bit. You can smile in the storm. You can smile in the storm. You can smile in the storm with Jesus in the boat. You can smile in the storm when you're sailing home. Now the amazing thing, there's times when the storm begins to blow and we find ourselves in the middle of it and it's really hard to smile, right? And, and the truth is you don't always have to smile. But the amazing reality is you can smile in the middle of a storm when Jesus is in your boat so in our passage this morning, the crowd who saw Jesus go up the mountain and the disciples get in the boat, when they could not find Jesus, they're looking for him, right? They just saw this amazing miracle happen. They got into their boat and they crossed the sea to Capernaum. They finally find Jesus and in verse 25 they, they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Right? These people saw what Jesus had just done, and they want more. They want more of that, right? It was pretty helpful what he did. He fed them, right? But guess what? Night had come, the next day had come, and they're still hungry. They're still hungry. Jesus, when did you 
come here. And you would think Jesus, I mean, in, in my opinion, I would look at this and I'd say they're seeking Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. You would maybe expect Jesus to commend them, to applaud them. Jesus' response is just a little different from that. They didn't get enough. They wanted more. And what does Jesus say? Verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus says, you're seeking me, not because you saw the sign, but because you ate your fill, because your bellies were full. Like a surgeon with exact precision, with a single statement, Jesus cuts directly to their hearts, exposing their true motives, revealing the very reason why they are pursuing him. Now, on the surface, this statement seems problematic, right? We saw in verse 2 and in verse 14, John tells us that the large crowd was following him. Why does it say in verse 2 he was, they were following him? Because they saw the signs. That's what John says. But here Jesus says, you're not following me because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill. So uh, uh, did they see the sign or did they not see the sign? The text presents us, it seems like, with some sort of a problem we have to figure out. When I was growing up, there was these things in school that was kind of popular. I don't know. I don't see kids doing it too much anymore, but it was called magic eye. Anybody ever saw the magic eye illustration things? Okay, so it was this... This like kind of 3D, whoa, we got some Magic Eye fans? Okay, all right. Uh, it's kind of this image, this 3D image. You would look at it, and you would put it like close to your face, and at first you couldn't see what it is, and then as you would kind of like, I don't know, blur your eyes or like look through the image, then apparently some image would kind of come out of that thing, and you'd be able to see it, all right? Now, I was, and I still, I just tried this the other day, I still can't do it. I don't know if it's like, if I don't get the process, or if like, there's something just wrong. Obviously, there's something wrong with me, yes, but I don't know if there's like, if I've got a problem with my eyes. I've never been able to see one of these images. I just can't do it, all right? I can see the piece of paper, but I can't see the image, right? What's buried in there. I can't uncover it. I can't see it. And something that's very similar is what is happening to this crowd. They witnessed the miracle. They saw the sign. They ate the bread, got their fill, but are completely missing the point. They saw the sign, but they didn't see the sign. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's exactly what Jesus is telling them. They're seeking after Jesus, not because of who he is, but because of what he can do for them. They're drawn to him for his utility, his usefulness. They, he filled their belly. Jesus to them was practical. Jesus was not precious. For them, Jesus was a tool to be used, not a treasure to be cherished. And that's exactly what he's telling him. They see Jesus as a means to get ultimately what they want. Be our king, Jesus, keep our bellies full, Jesus. Keep our boats on the water, Jesus. Give us food, miracle worker, mighty prophet. Give us bread. The problem is Jesus didn't come to give them bread. Jesus 
came to be their bread. They saw the sign. They didn't see the sign. They didn't see it. Jesus tells them in verse 27, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. All of their effort, all of their labor, their chasing, their work was for a food, folks, that wouldn't last. A food, ultimately, that would perish. Folks, their problem is our problem as well. We, too, are a dissatisfied people. Because, why? Ultimately, because we feast on food that does not last. That's our temptation in this world, is to not neglect our hunger, but to fill our hunger through alternative, cheap substitutes. Food that perishes, right? There's, uh, we have two dogs in our house. One dog, Eddie. I've talked about Eddie before. Um, he's a nice little dog. Uh, we recently have been doing some work in our house, and so the last couple months we moved our dog dishes into our bathroom. And so we have dog food, dog water bowls in there, and that's where we feed them. And Eddie, I, I know some dogs do this. I just never had a dog that does this. And I'm not quite sure what to think of it. Um, he, he drinks from the toilet on a regular basis. Like, does, doesn't really matter what's in the toilet. He's just <laughs> helping himself. And at first, it's kind of like, bro, like, we just, we don't need to be doing that, you know? And now it's kind of like, eh, I don't have to fill up his water bottle, whatever, you know, or water bowl. But anyways, I can literally, and I've had this happen several times, where I will literally be in the bathroom filling up his bowl with fresh, pure, wonderful water, right? I will set the bowl down. I will call Eddie. Eddie will see the bowl, run past the bowl, and stick his head in the toilet, right? And drink his full, right? I think oftentimes we can be a lot like Eddie. There are things in this world that tempt us. There are things in this world that offer to quench our thirst. And they might, momentarily. They might, right? But ultimately, what Jesus is calling us to, is in verse 27, is to labor, to work for food that doesn't perish. He is offering us a bowl of wonderfully clean tasty water. Don't be sticking your head in the toilet. Alright? You're better than that. You're better than that. The world offers us plenty of substitutes, folks. Plenty of substitutes. Jesus, this is, this is the sad thing about this passage, is standing immediately directly in front of this crowd. At the beginning of John chapter 6, there's a crowd following Jesus. By the end, of John chapter 6, we're told that many of those people leave. The crowd gets a little smaller. Jesus' teachings, some of them were, many of them were difficult, and they're still difficult for us today to hear. And, and some people, honestly, it's not so much that they don't want what Jesus offers, it's that they can't give up what the world does. I think that's what a lot of our, our, our problems come down to. So what's the solution? Solution. Jesus offers a solution in verse 29. 
Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. No labor or effort of your own can give you food that will last forever. God provides that. Jesus comes down to heaven. He is the bread of life. And when we taste and when we eat, when we come to Jesus, he offers us eternal life. He offers to take our hunger pains away for us to know true satisfaction. It is possible. And the work that we must do, he tells us simply, is that we would believe in him who he sent. See, these people saw Jesus, but they did not believe Jesus the root of their problem, the reason they are missing Jesus isn't because they haven't seen him. It's because they don't believe in him. The problem, folks, is not with the evidence. The problem is in the heart. And it's exactly the same for us today. It's exactly the same for us today. The the same problem that they have is our problem. It's not that there's not evidence There is so much evidence. The problem is in our heart. It's a matter of belief. It's their problem and it's our problem as well. Jesus tells them, he is the bread of life. Don't get caught up in the things that I can do for you. He says, get caught up in me. And that's our challenge this morning. That's our challenge today is to be caught up, not primarily in what Jesus can do for you, has done for you, will do for you, but to be caught up in who Jesus is. Folks, following Jesus, we looked at this when we saw Philippians, the book of Philippians, that comes with, it does come with the cost, but it also comes with tremendous benefits, I would say. And if we just press this into how would this apply to us, Jesus for his preciousness or or Jesus for his practical usefulness for us, how do we determine or distinguish the difference between the two? I think there's there's a temptation there can be for us to see the, the benefit of being a Christian, especially in our culture today. Now there's many costs and there definitely is trials and and difficulties that come with being a follower of Jesus in our culture today. But at the same time, there's a lot of benefits. When you become a member of a church, we just, we just studied this in the book of Philippians, you should, especially this church, you should instantly be welcomed. And John McHale stood up and said, welcome. doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, you are welcome here. We love you. Like instantly. doesn't mean it's always easy. Some of y'all are a little harder to love than others. Just saying. Okay? But we will try. We will try to love you. There are benefits that come with following Jesus that you can feel even in this world today, right? If you were to look historically throughout the church in the West in just the last couple of hundred years, it's hard to find churches who aren't starting orphanages, who aren't starting hospitals, who aren't starting schools, right? Who aren't responding to the needs of the community and the world around them, who aren't caring well for one another. If the church is doing its job, they should be doing those things, right? And so there are benefits that can come. Right? And our temptation is whether it's social or personal, even economic, like you can be a member of a church, and if it's a well attended church, and if there's people with good connections, you can actually see some, some increase maybe in your business, right? There could be really good benefits. Those aren't the reasons we want you to come to church on a Sunday morning, those aren't the reasons why we hold up the value of membership, right? Those are benefits that may come, 
absolutely might. You might find, oh, I didn't have friends. Now I have friends who love me, who care for me. When I have a baby, they give me gifts. When I'm hurting, they, they come and they cry with me. There are definitely our benefits, folks. But Jesus is saying, listen, come to him. Believe in him. Those things will be added to you, right? He will take care of your physical needs. He tells us that in the Beatitudes. He will take care. All those things will be added unto you, right? But we are primarily to come to Jesus for who he is. For who he is. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a miracle worker? Is he, uh, does he give you a social sort of card with your picture on it that you scan at the front of the door when you walk in here on Sundays and now you have a variety of wonderful, loving friends? Is that what Jesus is for you? Or is Jesus the bread of life? Is he the bread of life? That's what he says he is. And as a church, as a people, as his people, we want him to be that for us. Right? We want to keep Jesus as the source of our life. Believe in him. See him and believe in him. And so that's finally just the invitation he offers in verse 35. We see it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. What an amazing offer. Satisfaction today for you is possible only in Jesus. Don't fall for the cheap substitutes of this world. Get your head out of the toilet, all right? Come to Jesus. Believe in him. That's the invitation this morning. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this truth. Lord, thank you for um, the reality, Father, that, that you offer us true, genuine, lasting satisfaction. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who does not know what that tastes like, Lord, I pray that they would come, they would believe, that they would see, they would eat the very bread of life, Father. We thank you as we consider just even what that cost you. Um, I pray that you would allow us to be um, just reminded of your great love for us, Lord. Um, that you, as we think of you and our lives, Lord, that um, we would not be drawn to you primarily for what you can do for us, Lord, but primarily for who you are to us. We love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen.